final preparations for the Tokyo Olympics? It was a shock, but then uh, it took one day or two, and then we, we continued with our preparations. And I think especially the athletes, they were really uh, convinced that uh, the Tokyo 2020 Games, even if they take place in 2021, they will happen and they will compete. And I think that is what we have been focusing on now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the ANOC podcast on Around the Rings. I'm your host, Ed Hula. This is the latest in a series of podcasts produced with the help of the Association of National Olympic Committees, representing 206 NOCs around the world. One year ago, the 2020 Tokyo Olympics were just about four months away. But at the same time, the explosion of the coronavirus pandemic would lead to an unprecedented postponement of the Games. Here we are a year later, and once again, just four months away from the start of the Summer Olympics and Paralympics, a little like Groundhog Day, maybe. But these Games will be very different from the Olympics of the past. The coronavirus is forcing all kinds of changes to the normal way the Olympics are held in a host city, Certainly one of the striking differences, the decision just days ago to exclude foreign spectators from Tokyo, the first time that's happened in the annals of the modern games. And there are many other changes that have resulted from the pandemic, which confronts the world's national Olympic committees as they prepare their teams to compete in Tokyo in July and August. We're going to get into the final preparations that are underway around the world with two of the best experts on the games. IOC member Gunilla Lindberg, for decades now the Secretary General of the Swedish NOC and Secretary General of ANOC, and Christoph Duby, Executive Director of the Olympic Games for the IOC. He's been involved in every step of the way towards Tokyo uh, from its days as a, as a bid city in 2013, some seven or eight years ago. And he's, of course, overseen the dramatic changes that these games have adopted since the postponement was announced one year ago. Uh, Knilla Lindbergh and Christoph Duby, welcome to Around the Rings Radio. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you, Ed. Pleasure to be with you. Thank you, Ed and uh, Gunilla, for the opportunity indeed. Well, let's just hop into the time machine for for a minute or two. A year ago right now, the world was really coming to grips with the reality of the uh, coronavirus pandemic. We were starting to see the the sports schedule disintegrate with, with cancellations and postponements. The IOC, however, was still hanging on to the idea that uh, perhaps the Olympics still could go ahead in Tokyo. And then about a week from now, uh, the decision was actually formalized and made that there will be a postponement. What was it like at the IOC a year ago this time, Christoph? Uh, kind of a hectic atmosphere as you're trying to figure everything out? I would say a uh, mixed feeling of, um, of indeed hectic atmosphere, concern, but also, uh, also confidence. And I'll start with the confidence. Um, 
You know, we, we always had from the very beginning a good collaboration with a number of, of experts and, and organizations to help us understand and read the situation. And here in particular, our relationship with WHO was, was truly helpful. And uh, you described the situation a year ago, but it started a little earlier than that. And for quite a while, the situation was uh, dramatic in, in Asia, and we found a number of solutions. You, you would remember, Gunilla, for the athletes coming from the Asian continents, and we felt we could help and find solutions until that very date where WHO declared that it was a pandemic. At that point in time, we knew it would be worldwide and that the impact would be far and, uh, and, and reaching. So at that stage, uh, obviously concerned because uh, we never uh, postponed the, the games and uh, and it's quite overwhelming when, when you start considering the impacts. But at the same time, there was always uh, a great leadership in, uh, in all of the institutions of the Olympic movement. Uh, you, you mentioned the role of, of Bunila and, and ANOC, international federations, and of course the IUC president who always had a very, very clear mind when it came to uh, the next actions uh, to, to get us there to the decision of, of the postponement and then managing all the consequences. So these were the feelings at, at the time. And uh, Ganilla Lindbergh, now it's a year later. How are the NOCs adapting to this, to this big change in plans? A year ago, everybody was getting ready to go to Tokyo, and now you interrupt that preparation, uh, especially for the athletes who are heading towards their peak performance levels. At that at that stage prior to the games, what's it been like now getting ready again for the Tokyo Olympics from an NOC point of view? Yeah, to be honest, Ed, I think we never interrupted the preparations. Uh, we continued to work, and of course, the decision then in in March one year ago was kind of a shock to everyone. But as Christophe was saying, I think it was a really big unity. We had the uh, experts to, uh, that were telling us that this is not going to go away. It's a pandemic uh, that we have to take seriously. And also here uh, with the, the IUC president having uh, web seminars with all the NOCs. And uh, um, I mean, we, we uh, it was a shock, but then uh, it took one day or two and then we, we continued with our preparations. And I think especially the athletes, they were really uh, convinced that uh, the Tokyo 2020 games, even if they take place in 2021, they will happen and they will compete. And I think that is what we have been focusing on now. How, how much more complicated is it now to prepare for the Olympic Games, given the playbooks that have been published that describe, that list the, the sort of behavior and protocols that athletes, teams will have to go through to compete in Tokyo? Is it has it added a, a, a very challenging level of uh, complications? Uh, it is uh, a challenge, but also, uh, especially for the athletes, I mean, they've been competing in this bubble 
for the past six months, and I think it's been almost 300 different uh, World Championships and World Cups all over the world and, uh, with about 40,000 athletes. So if someone is prepared to come to Tokyo and live after these special circumstances, I think it's the athletes. I think we will have more um, problems or um, logistic problems with the, the officials and the coaches that haven't really lived through this past six years in, in, in this bubble. Uh, and we also have to realize, and that's what we said from the very beginning, it will be Olympic Games in Tokyo, but it will not be games like it was. And it will also, maybe for the future, not be games that it was before. And this is also a chance to change what needs to be changed and, and to have a different approach. Right. Uh, Christoph Duby, uh, can you get a feel for what kind of changes this this dealing with the pandemic will have on future Olympic Games? What will be the knock-on effect of the changes that you bring about in Tokyo? Ed, um, before before I respond to uh, to this question, there is also another level of complication on the uh, organizer's side, and I feel it's important to explain what is, is going on at, at present because you have already to deliver the games in normal circumstances. It's quite a feat, and, and you've been there, done that, Ed, and, uh, and many of, of the auditors. And we know that, that the games are complicated to deliver. Normal operations is already quite something with all the cases that you have to deal with both during the planning and at games time. Now you're adding one, um, and it's a term that we love in, uh, in the Olympic circles, one overlay on top of normal operations. And this is the countermeasure or, or uh, COVID-19 operations. And it's very, very heavy because it involves from uh, uh, prior to arriving in Tokyo to the arrival of, of the delegations in Tokyo and then the whole management of the tests and the results at games time. And this is a massive overlay of complexity on top of normal operations. Now, when it comes to um, your initial question about the changes, first, I think that um, Agenda 2020 and now 2020 plus five had a profound effect on the games in, in the future. And uh, one of the elements, but it was only a subset of, of this overall vision of, of the games for the future was how we can save costs. And by virtue of, of uh, facing a, a complicated situation in Tokyo where we knew we had to minimize the impact, we've been looking forensically everywhere where we could find simplifications. Okay, and 107 simplifications were identified and only about a third of these could be implemented in Tokyo simply because a number of contracts were already entered into a number of commitments were made. But it means that for the future, we can end over this work of everything we could have done to further simplify what was already a good effort in the new norm. And I think this spirit of constantly looking for new solutions that are adapted to the context is a spirit that, that we had ingrained from Agenda 2020 uh, and, and its publication, but it's further reinforced by the crisis we are all in right now. And I, we will see the effects of this in Paris in 2024 in Los Angeles, 
2028. Uh, both of those cities have already attacked the, uh, the the question of how to simplify, how to reduce costs. But this will further accelerate it for these cities, do you think? Yes, it, it will. And for Milano Cortina as well. Uh, most most definitely, because the, the one thing we have done from the very beginning, including when we have drafts of, of these reports, we, we made sure that the, the next organizing committees could, uh, uh, could, could receive them and input as well, because, uh, you know, by virtue of having a bit more time, they, they could uh, help us uh, think creatively. So, yes, most definitely. And the budget of, of Paris, which has been confirmed in December, reflects already a number of the simplifications we had decided. So, yes, m- most definitely already having an, an effect. Mm-hmm. Back to b- back to Tokyo and preparations for those games by the NOCs. Ganilla Lindbergh, what are the NOCs like yours and, and, and others going through right now to get ready for, for Tokyo? What's, what's the biggest challenge that this is presenting to you? Uh, I think at the moment is is the many whys or what what will happen and to have an exact answer to that we can uh, plan after because uh, we know uh, and we, with the playbooks also that has been uh, introduced uh, by by IUC we have uh, received a lot of information but how will it work in reality? And also, you know, we've been planning for the past seven years. We've been planning for the the different training camps all over Japan. We've been planning for hospitality houses. We've been planning for, uh, I mean, the, the travels of the athletes. We've been planning for our national sponsors and guests and and. Uh, uh, where we are today, we don't actually know. And uh, we had the information, as you say, last Saturday, that it will be, ne- be no foreign spectators. And uh, what does it really mean? But I think now we, we are planning that uh, really it will be very difficult to have any non-accredited person in Tokyo and I mean this also goes with the family and friends of the athletes that have been following their their children and and, uh, wanting to come and share for them at the Olympics. This will probably not be be possible and then you also have the the problem with the for the HRs and the the, um, ticket sales and how do we get the money back or it's it's a whole logistical procedure, and I don't envy the organizing committee in uh, Tokyo, because really they are the ones that, uh, on the top of everything else that comes with organizing the games, you also have to find solutions for all our questions. And I know that uh, sometimes it can be a bit pushy from the NOCs, and I know that Christoph probably agree with me, but we also understand uh, the problems, but uh, we just want to do the, the best preparations for, for our athletes and for them to enjoy the games and in a safe atmosphere. Christoph Duby, you were involved with some of the discussions about, about the question of whether 
foreign spectators could come to Tokyo. Uh, how big of a issue is it that family and and friends of athletes won't be able to go to Tokyo in support of 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 their of their favorite favorite athletes? You know, Ed, the, the the flavor of the game, the full flavor of, of the games is, is when you have uh, these amazing crowds with uh, with the outfit, with the grimage on, on the face and, and the flags. And uh, will this be missed in, in the context of, uh, of Tokyo? Yes, most, most definitely. Uh, will the athletes uh, miss their family and friends? Yes, no doubt uh, as well. And uh, it's not what, what we had wanted. At the same time, what we uh, what we said yesterday in the, um, the discussions with the NOCs, which I thought Gunilla, by the way, was was very interesting, very rich, is that we have to find ways to bring overseas fans and overseas uh, parents and and families in Tokyo, and that we have to do uh, digitally. Is it is it uh, perfect? No, but Ed, is it? Uh, something that that we will fight for in order to make sure that that we stay connected to those we love overseas, absolutely. And um, you know we've seen examples in in events where you have fans interactions from outside of of empty stadium. It helps. And in the context of Tokyo, uh, if we have spectators from Japan, that will be already something. And when we we bring overseas fans on screens, you know what? It's an added value. And same for, for the athletes. We have to make sure that we create the digital condition where they can interact with their, with their fans and, and their families. So the work to be done now is really uh, the decision has been made. How could we make it up for part of it? And the answer is, uh, is digital. And that's really taking advantage of the opportunities that this uh, pandemic has, has created, forcing people to think of alternative ways of, of, of doing things. Uh, the NOCs themselves, what kind of help are they? Are they asking for any kind of specific help or assistance, guidance at this stage of, of, of preparations for Tokyo? Are, are they sure they'll be able to get to Tokyo, even if the games are have the green light and uh, everything is, is, is set in Tokyo? Will there be a problem getting some NOCs to Tokyo under these conditions? No. Uh, now I say this uh, with with confidence because um, the organizers uh, and and the governments have always been very clear to us. Um, the accredited people from all NOCs will be welcomed in in Tokyo. The only thing is that for all of us accredited, we'll have to follow a very strict protocol and a regime to, to get us uh, into Tokyo, uh, not presenting any risk for our, uh, our fellow accredited people and obviously the, the citizen of Tokyo and, and Japan. So that is, uh, uh, is well understood. And I haven't heard anyone at present asking about whether they, they can go to Tokyo. Now you have detailed questions. And, and here I just received a, a letter from uh, Enoch signed by uh, by Gunilla with a number of very practical questions uh, that that we need to answer. When I say we is uh, is the greater we, the NOCs that will help us, but also the organizers, the IOC, of very practical matters 
that that we have to resolve between now and being in in Tokyo uh, that that night on the twenty third. But no concern about any delegation not being able to go to Tokyo. That is not the case. And how about the question of vaccines for athletes and officials? Canilla Lindbergh, what are the athletes in Sweden expecting for for Tokyo? Do they do they want to be vaccinated before they travel? No, we we have a special. Uh, uh, I mean, in in my country, the government have decided who will get vaccinated after a special schedule, and that is of course for the people in risk and for the elderly, and, and then we go down. And uh, at the moment, it's it's a kind of lack of vaccine, like it is in in all Europe. But we would never ask for the athletes to go before that line. It doesn't work in in my country, and of course, it's different in different countries. And uh, maybe Christoph can say a little bit more about the the offer that has come from China, because. That is uh, an offer, I think, not for Europe, but maybe for some other countries. So, Christoph, do you have more information? Yes, Gunilla, and, and we received that uh, that kind offer from the uh, the Chinese Olympic Committee, saying that um, while always respecting the chain of, of distribution and the priority in those countries where uh, there there has been approval for uh, one of the the Chinese vaccine then they would be happy to assist the, the delegations if uh, they can agree with, with the government for distribution of additional doses. So this is, a, this is of, of great, great assistance. And um, uh, their, their current distribution network is already important. And what we have heard, and I haven't checked the latest status, but is that they have also required um, and and uh, put all statistics and, and document for WHO. Um, and, and if uh, the, the so-called pre-qualification for WHO would be extended for this vaccine, then it would increase the number of, of opportunities for, uh, for delegations to be vaccinated. So, so far, it's based on bilateral relationships. But should WHO extend the pre-qualification to this vaccine, then that would help uh, probably more delegations. But the key point uh, here, Ed, is that vaccination is not obligatory. And this is something we have reconfirmed to uh, the NOCs yesterday. So help uh, is most welcome. It's reducing the risk and we'll do everything we can to help everyone. But it is not an obligation to enter Japan. And also, uh, if I can add to, to that, because uh, if you're an, an elite athlete and you will uh, compete and do your best in, in Tokyo, uh, I don't think you, you want to have a vaccination very close to your competition. So, uh, there? there was tasks, but there's nothing But the ones who want to take and the countries that will be offered, but it's totally up to the individual NOC and, and their government. In, in Tokyo, with things different with these Olympic Games, uh, Ganella Lindbergh, what do you expect to be different as far as life in the Olympic Village? For athletes, it's a, a, an interesting and exciting part of going to the Olympics is, 
is mingling and getting to know athletes from all over the world and in that environment there. But it's going to be a a different environment this time around. What are you expecting? Yeah, but if it's a different environment, it doesn't mean it's a bad environment because I think when, when you are in the village, which will be a very closed area and you will be together and you will feel that you are really one team, all of them in there. And I mean, they, they are living there. They are taking their meals there. They are going to training. They are competing so uh, as I said, when you are in the bubble, and um, most of them are so competitive, so uh, it's on the mind is to make make a good result, but of course also to make friends. And I'm sure that they are creative enough to make new friends even in Tokyo. And I think we will come stronger out of these games than than we were before. You know, Ed and, and Gunilla, yesterday morning, very early, I was I was listening to um, the Swiss radio and they were interviewing a, a great uh, professional golfer. We have only one professional golfer. She's called Alban Valenzuela and she, she plays in the uh, LPGA. And uh, they were asking her about uh, the games and how different and is she concerned. And she says, you know what? It's the greatest thing for, for an athlete. Give us, give us Tokyo. Yes, the conditions will be different, but it will be so great. And as you said, different does not mean bad. They are, they are really, really longing for, uh, for Tokyo to, to arrive because no matter what, you will have that diversity of sport and of, of countries, religion, race, sizes, and everything that makes this, the, the village a special place. Although under constraints, but still, it, it's magic. Yes, it is. Uh, and, of the games. And we are now less than a year from the Beijing Winter Olympics. Uh, is it a challenge to get ready for Tokyo? At the same time, preparations are really into the last months for 2022. There seems to be a, a, a collision coming of of uh, of uh, of goals and objectives here. Uh, how are you handling Beijing preparations at the same time we're getting ready for Tokyo? Lila, uh, you first. Yeah. <laughs> you know, both Christoph and Ed, I'm so old. So I've been living through this for many, many times. We used to have the Winter and Summer Olympics in the same year, up until 1992. And uh, it was no problem. It uh, was business as usual, and uh, of course, now the, the uh, development of the games and technique and everything is different. I, I think for the NOCs, the, the challenging point is that we have not been able to really visit Beijing and the venues and uh, see uh, how to make the preparations. And it's also that, uh, I mean, it's a bit of planning. So the Chinese organizing committee is not asking for a lot of information at the same time as Tokyo is doing, because then it's a bit problematic. But uh, uh, I mean, I also know now that the, the um, test events will take place uh, in the autumn. And uh, also with winter games, it's easier. It's not that many people. It's not that many events and sports, but it has its other challenges. 
but for the the venues and for for those uh, the Olympic Village etc. Uh, we have heard the reports back from the Coordination Commission that it is already done. But of course, we, we want to go there and see for ourselves and test the snow and, and uh, things like that. But uh, we take one thing at a time. And Beijing will have to wait until the curtain comes down in Tokyo to get the, the full spotlight of attention but it will be a bit of a rush, will it, Christoph Duby, getting ready for, for Beijing so quickly after Tokyo? Yes, it, it will be a, a rush, and, and uh, let me uh, tell you what, what we are doing. Um, but before that, um, you know, I, I speak regularly with, uh, with Gilbert Feli, the, the great Gilbert, and uh, when I told him about, you know, the, the back-to-back, he said exactly what you said. Oh, but you know, we used to do that, so... Don't complain. Uh, take take. The I can hear him saying it too. Huh? <laughs> I can hear yeah. him saying that too. Exactly yeah, that yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then um, uh, two factors here. First, you have, as Gulina said, a great quality in the uh, uh, organizing committee. There, it, it, it's true that they are ready on on many many fronts. Nevertheless, you still have a lot of uh, details in 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 that uh, last year of preparation. So. What we've done here is make sure that the teams are, are split and that we have a, a number of, um, of reshaping and revamping of, of the teams inside the IOC to make sure that, that we can create uh, these two streams uh, of activities in parallel and where it's absolutely needed, especially in those new areas we have to plan for, like uh, the, the COVID-19 operations, as I was describing before, we have also external assistance. So to cope, with, with this volume, it's quite some reorganization within the teams and also specialized outside assistance to make sure we do the right thing when it comes to a, a spe- especially this new COVID situation. While there's word of a, another outbreak of the, uh, the virus in, in Europe, there's also hope that the coming months will, will bring an easing of, uh, of the challenge uh, as the Olympics approaches, Beijing approaches, um, are, are Christoph Ganilla, are you hoping that the the burden, the obligations, the the requirements, perhaps find a way to uh, to ease up before the Olympics come, and to improve by the time the Beijing Olympics come next next February? What kind of hope do you have for better conditions, Christoph? The uh, the conditions um, will be better from a vaccination standpoint. That makes no doubt because uh, in most of the countries participating in the Winter Games, we will be well underway. At the same time, and, and we know this, the, the virus is more prevalent in winter conditions. So we have to be extremely, extremely careful and not give hope that the Games in, in Beijing will be radically different and uh, and free of, of any constraints. because. I think there is such a, a fear and, and such concerns that uh, you, you would you would generate cases during the games. I mean, it, it has a lot of impacts and side effects that we have to be extremely careful. And this number one priority, which is safety of participants and health first, will remain. It has to remain, despite the conditions improving. Um, we, we, we've seen so much of, of ups and, and downs thinking that, that we had overcome the virus and that it was behind us. 
it is not the case. So we have to be extremely careful and, and this will remain in place. And Gunilla Lindbergh, the welfare and safety of the athletes still is uh, the number one priority of your NOCs and the fellow NOCs around the world. I mean, of course, this is something we have not been through, uh, none, none of us. And the seriousness of this uh, COVID-19 is really something scary and we don't know how to handle it. Um, but maybe, maybe uh, for Beijing, for um, Tokyo, and after Tokyo, we will also learn things on uh, how how to do things in Tokyo that yeah. we also can use for for the Beijing Games. But I, I totally agree with with uh, Christoph. Uh, don't relax in any way, and it's winter. Of course, the the winter is good for the athletes that competes outside because then it's less spread when you're outside uh, but still uh, we, we have to be extremely careful and uh, as we said we, with the development of all the vaccine and, and how to and how to live and I think people are learning we are, we are getting used not to hug each other and to keep the distance and uh, unfortunately because we want to go back to so-called normal life but uh, we have no expectations for that to happen, at least uh, very soon. That's Gunilla Lindbergh, Secretary General of the Association of National Olympic Committees and IOC member. She joined us from her home in Sweden. And IOC Executive Director of Olympic Games, Christoph Duby, who connected with us from IOC headquarters in Lausanne, Switzerland. And thank you for connecting with us on this latest edition of the ANOC podcast on Around the Rings, the Association of National Olympic Committees representing the world's 206 NOCs. I'm your host, Ed Hula. Please stay calm, stay safe, stay healthy. Your best source of news about the Olympics is AroundTheRings.com.